0: Welcome, everybody, to the A.J. Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. Welcome, everybody, to the A.J. Osborne Podcast, and uh, we have quite the podcast for you guys today. You got me and Connor here. We're going to go through... Yeah, I'm... We've been
1: excited for this one. Not going to lie. This is going to be next level. Definitely. Definitely next level. Um, super, super, uh, just just an incredible guy and uh, doing a lot of amazing things on so many fronts in regards to business and influence uh, within an industry and uh, j- innovation, um, growth of a company. I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about scale and, and that transition between, you know, working working in the business versus working on the business and transitioning to that role of a CEO that I know he's kind of been going through uh, the past, you know, year and a half, two years, whatever that looks like for him. But uh, yeah, dude, super excited to jump into it. Our guest today, Lucas Botkin from uh, T-Rex Arms. Dude, thanks for coming on, man.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. Heck yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we're excited about this. So, you know, your story is pretty incredible. I'm not going to lie. So uh, why don't you give us a little background and talk about how you got started and why and what that looked like
2: yeah so uh eight years ago it was uh 2013 and or 2012 actually i'll rewind a little bit i had no idea what i was going to do in life i was you know 19 years old not not having a college degree uh not knowing where i was going to go what job I wanted to do I Was a volunteer firefighter at the time so i was doing a little bit of that and my parents there was this uh, plastic material that one of my brothers had purchased that's used for making uh, gun holsters, and I was playing around with that because it, it intrigued me. You heat it up, it turns into Velveeta cheese. You press it against whatever object you want, which in this case, a firearm, and you have you know a, a retainer for you know that firearm to go into a holster. And my parents said, "Hey, why don't you just put some of those on eBay? Just you know make a few of them, put them up, see what happens." So I did I put up I think about 10 listings for holsters and magazine carriers things like that and people for whatever reason bought my crappy uh, holsters that I made my early <laughs> ones and then oh, I was yeah. like, you know what I think I can make this a business I think I can I can make a website where I let people customize uh, a holster based on you know what gun it's for, uh, what color it is. And I, I did a lot of market research. I, I'd already been doing market research for like a year just because I was interested in the firearms community and I was looking at companies and the competition. I didn't realize that I was doing market research just from my own interest, but it turned into market research. <laughs> it was very convenient. So then uh, <laughs> well, I, I bought a, uh, a WordPress theme for 400 bucks. I went and bought some material for like 300 I bought some what are called blue guns. They're basically trainer uh, firearms for hand-hand combat. Uh, which worked pretty well for uh, molds, for holster making. So for $1,000, I started the company T-Rex Arms uh, in middle Tennessee, uh, an hour outside of Nashville on my uh, family's property in a little garage, tiny little garage. And what I used for marketing, because you know, getting the word out there is like the first step you've really got to do. Mm-hmm. The second step really in starting the business uh, is I had pinpointed that Instagram was where the firearms community was starting to develop. Facebook was already kind kind of dying away. Forums were already owned by other companies with their advertising. And I was just a new guy, a little guy with not a lot of money. Uh, so I had an iPod touch. I didn't even have an iPhone. I had an iPod touch like Gen 1 or Gen 2, some little bitty little thing. And I took all my photos with that and uh, made an account, T-Rex Arms, uh, Trex Arms Kydex, started posting photos of holsters. And for whatever reason, people started buying and they started coming to the site, uh, my $500 WordPress e-commerce site. And uh, in time, I I started shooting uh, uh, competitions to learn how to shoot better because I realized, hey, if I'm going to be, you know, if I want to be taken seriously in this industry, I need to be an end user of sorts because I had no military background, no law enforcement background. I I was 20 years old. And uh, I also don't have a, a GED. I'm paperless. I have nothing, and um, so I'm, a, I'm basically a mutt. But uh, so I started, so I started shooting at these matches, learning how to shoot, and uh, that did bring some credibility. People were like, "Oh, cool, a holster maker that actually goes out and uses his own stuff." And the company started to explode from there. I had my first uh, contractor in six months. I think my first full-time employee in ten. And then I partnered with one of my older brothers and a friend after a little after a little over a year. And but it was full time for me within like four months. I had plenty of work coming in, and the company's been debt-free ever since. Uh, that was a big goal of mine. And we've just been slowly building, expanding the business. And it's been, it's been a
0: pretty interesting experience the past eight years. So it's yeah, been cool. It's amazing. It's so awesome, dude. It, it, snapshot yeah. of today, where you're at, what's your company look like? So we uh,
2: a few years a few years ago we moved out of our small garage shop location and we now have two industrial buildings in a commercial uh, I guess it's called a, a an industrial park uh, and so we have thirty thousand square feet we have eighty employees we've got corporate systems we have an employee handbook we've got HR you know we have all the things that normal corporations have and uh, and that's been an interesting development too because originally the company. Uh, it was all people that I knew, uh, like people from my church, uh, people from another church that that we we knew, and a family as well. And a couple of years ago is when we started hiring people from out of state. People started to move here to work for us specifically. Uh, we started hiring some higher level positions within the company outside of just manufacturing. And that's when we needed to start building some systems, transitioning from a small business to a medium-sized business. So uh, it's been it's it that's been a real interesting phase because uh kind of like you all mentioned uh, i've had to transition my role uh as the founder of the company into more of a ceo uh then originally you know originally i was kind of running around filming videos doing marketing getting the name out there uh shooting guns a lot and then as soon as the company started to move into that medium sized business and needing various direction inside the business with other departments and things i needed to uh, get off the range a little bit and sit at the computer and sit in the conference room a little bit more. uh, And that's kind of what I've been doing and learning uh, that transition has been a huge, just learning point right there. And so learning, I'm not, a. this is my first time being a a CEO as of right now. So I'm still learning that I'm I'm not an expert by any means, but, uh, so that's kind of where the company is right now. We have a platform of uh, it's over 3 million people, um, of who we interact with on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. We don't only really have a Twitter presence and then, uh, all the people that hit our website every week. So it's, uh, quite a few eyes looking at our website, looking at our content that we're putting out there. And that comes with a lot of responsibility and a lot of challenges as well. So it's, wow. uh, that's kind of where we're at right now.
1: That's amazing, dude. And it, and in relatively such a short amount of time, yeah. you know, especially mm-hmm. in a product-based business like what you guys have, and um, I mean, there's so much to unpackage here. One of the things um, you you were able to identify and capitalize on this this content this this idea of u- utilizing content on social media, uh, specifically Instagram. I mean, what was that? How did you identify that opportunity?
2: So this is actually kind of convenient. When I was 19 and I was getting into guns and shooting and it was interesting to me, I was looking for a type of, I guess you could say, role model that didn't exist. Uh, Someone who, because at the time, all there was were some YouTube channels of some guys who would talk about a gun for half an hour. They wouldn't even shoot it. They wouldn't even show how the thing worked. And that didn't inspire me to want to train. That didn't inspire me to even buy the product. And I didn't want to buy that product. They weren't even demonstrating how it was used. So when I started the company, I had a vision of what, um, I wanted to become and what I wanted the business to become, uh, of that thing that I was looking for as a young new gun owner that didn't exist at the time. So that actually made it pretty, a lot easier. I think it was kind of an advantage. I basically just made what I wanted and thankfully it's also what other people wanted. So that worked out. Yeah. And, uh, so it was it was little things like uh, I, one of the things I, I really don't like, and I think most people are gonna are, are are gonna agree, is the marketing that companies do where they constantly just bash you over the head with sales coupons, product this product that without ever educating you on why the product exists, what the product's for, or demonstrating how the product is used. So I took that you know basically all the things I didn't like about uh, other businesses, and I just tried to do the opposite. And that's worked pretty well. Um, In some cases it hasn't, but in most cases that has worked really well. So the way we market our product is we don't, in fact, sometimes I'll be in a meeting and they'll say, Hey, you haven't talked about this product in a couple months. And I was like, Oh yeah, well uh, I haven't been using that one. I've been using these over here from another company. I'll get to that one at some point. So we're never really marketing product for the sake of, you know, selling the product. It it all comes back to educating uh, the customer base and the, the community and if sales occur off of that, that's awesome. If they don't and they buy from someone else, that's fine because our objective and our mission is to equip people with quality equipment to preserve life, and it doesn't matter where that equipment comes from. So, uh, but I think an advantage that I had is I was I was just trying to build the thing that I didn't have when I started getting into this, and that that helped a lot mm-hmm. um, as far as coming up with some. Uh, fixes to problems that I was seeing. Absolutely.
0: I love that. Yeah. I love this organic, this organic process. Like, you know, and Mm -hmm. I look at it and so much of that is similar to how we started up the private equity side of our real estate. It was like, I was started talking on Mm -hmm. podcasts. I said, listen, I think there's, nobody's talking about this We need education. I Mm -hmm. wish I would have had education out on this product, what it does, how we use it. And every single week just got on talked about it for an hour uh, plus. And we just, we started making videos and it just kind of kept rolling and rolling. And then all of a sudden we got investors, we got deals, people were bringing us incredible delivery, but we weren't asking for it. It's not like we were saying, Hey, yeah, will you go out? No, it wasn't Mm -hmm. even the sales. It was, it was purely just education. Just wrote a book. Here's what it is. We started doing it. It's, I want to give as much information as we can be transparent, show you pros, cons, our opinions, what we like, what we don't. Um, and I think people really relate to that. I think that Mm -hmm. is a people know we, we know when we're being sold and we know when we're being taught, we don't mind being sold. Right. From an, uh, right from the things, so I don't mind buying a product. I don't okay. mind being sold, right? But it's because you're giving value. So if you're giving me value, I understand. I appreciate that. I can utilize the product or the business service mm-hmm. that you're saying, and, and and that is so in today's particularly social media age. It's very transparent. I think. Yeah. No,
2: that's really good. Something that um, something that I've definitely I've definitely noticed is um, other companies too have started to adjust some of their own marketing. I mean, they've had to to some extent because there's so many companies out there in our industry. And this was another advantage uh, that I was kind of doing at the beginning as well as I was looking at what other companies were doing, some of that market research that I you know was talking about earlier. And I basically just took all the things that they weren't doing and I went and did them. So yeah. uh, not, have, not having product photography. Well, I decided I'm going to take pictures from every angle that I can. Of this product and actually show you know the thing that this company is talking about and we've even had vendors come to us and say you document our product better than we do and so one of the i would say one of the probably one of the coolest achievements um so far for our company has actually been uh kind of setting it i don't want to to some extent setting an example to some of these companies of what it can be and i've had some conversations with some of these AAA very large companies and said yeah we've hired a in-house media team because we've seen what you guys do with yours. Instead of outsourcing it to someone else once a year for our catalog, we're going to have an organic team inside who can actually document the stuff and actually educate people on the thing. And the other fun part, and this is a real misconception I think people have, uh, there's a lot of instructors and and and, and teachers in general and in different industries who believe that if they give away too much information, nobody's going to come to them for you know the services or the product. But the reality is it's the opposite. And that's what I yes. found. It's, it's the opposite. If you give away, because you're never going to give away all of it. I mean, there's all yeah. kinds of stuff that you just you can't get there's to on a one hour yeah. podcast. And so if you give away, say, even, even even if you gave away 50% of everything you know for free, you're going to have a landslide of people coming to you for the other 50%. And that's something that I constantly see in my industry of uh, instructors and teachers who say, no, I, you have to come to my class to learn it. And it's like, well, what I don't know what I'm coming to learn because you haven't put anything out there to show that you're competent, you know what you're talking about, and uh, and I remember when I first started doing this and started to give away uh, some shooting knowledge that I was starting to uh, starting to acquire, and I had people messaging me going, why don't you charge money for this? And I said, well, I don't have to. I'll I'll make money on this later on through trust and through credibility uh, with the brand and. I'm only giving away 10%, even publishing stuff every day. I'm not, I'm not doing all of it. Like there's no way. And so I think that's a big misconception, business owners and instructors, teachers, and and people with various services really need to get over giving away. Even just a little bit goes a a long way in getting trust for your business, uh, establishing credibility with your business and, It really is the way to go. I'm not sure of. I mean, unless you're like uh, making nukes for the government or something like. I don't know when you actually want to like not give away information (laughs) for your business to work. You know, Um, it's just a no
0: brainer. It is. You know, like dude, it's like looking. It's like looking in
1: a mirror right now with like your strategy and applying that to the gun industry and in defense industry and what Mm. we're doing in you know in real estate and business and investing in general. Where I mean, education based marketing. Given a ton of information away for free. I mean, we we talk about this all the time where, you know, we've got these mastermind groups that are out there for hundred thousand dollar, you know, entry fee. And then you get all these yeah. fees on top of that for their, you know, if they find a deal for you or this or that. And it's <clears throat> like, or you could come and, and we'll get tell you all that. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> yeah. we look
0: at it and we go, you know, our our product, our payback is our business of real estate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we can be open and we can talk openly about this. And you know, it's been my role is 100%. We There's nothing that I'm going to not talk about. If somebody has a question, I'll tell them, I'll tell them what's going on. What This is sure. what's happening. This is why we do it, right? Because that comes back tenfold to us right. in the form of business, in the form of mm-hmm. uh, investments, right? I don't need to package and sell the education because mm-hmm. I make so much on the actual business of doing right. it, mm-hmm. on actually doing what we're talking about. And people notice that, they feel it. And I feel like- if you're worried about doing that, you might be worried about that because you don't have enough to give. Like you, right. maybe you're not as maybe that should be a mm-hmm. signal that you need to become better. You need to do more because you're holding on to something very small that you don't want to
1: tell. Where you well, know it's a scarcity mindset. 100. You know, I mean, and and when you got that scarcity mindset, I mean, you're putting yourself. In a in a really poor position, and and it's unfortunate because so many entrepreneurs and people that are, are just in and around business are, are doing that all the time, where they, instead of having a mindset of abundance, they have this scarcity mindset that just puts puts the brakes on everything. Yeah. You know, no, I, really I think you hit the, the nail.
2: I think you hit the nail on the head. That that and I and I've encountered this in my industry. The guys that aren't giving away it typically because they don't have a lot to give in the first yes. place. But. It, at all And that's, it's not always that. I mean, sometimes it's just, they, they uh, uh, aren't necessarily as willing to help other people, but yeah. it, it is often from a place of, I don't have a lot. And if I, if I say some stuff, if I show some stuff, people are going to see I'm actually not competent, actually don't know what mm-hmm. I'm talking about because it is risky. You know, if you put yourself yes. out there on a podcast, I mean, the more, the more time you're, on the air, the more chances there are that you'll make a mistake. I've made mistakes on the air. I've made mistakes on my Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, If you do thousands of hours of, you know, filming, like they're going to happen. Yep. And, uh, and I think that is a good point that if, if you are a business owner or an instructor or a, a, you know, an advisor or something, and you're not comfortable sharing some stuff publicly, then you probably need to work on developing more stuff that you can actually share. Uh, Even just, A small percent of that, so I do. I think that you really hit the nail on the head there uh, with that. You know,
0: Mm -hmm. also though, you you mentioned you're gonna say something stupid, you're Mm -hmm. gonna mess up, which is a hundred percent true. And I, but how I look at that is, I I actually think that that helps. And what I what I mean is that Mm -hmm. it's not manicured, it's not always so perfect, right? right? It's not always like people are like, no, you're real, you're a real person, you're doing this, you're sharing, and we give you grace because you're trying to be authentic with somebody that's mm-hmm. not sharing until it's a perfectly boxed thing. Yep. Right. It, it people go, okay, yeah, you rehearsed this. This is, I, I don't even know yeah. how applicable this is because it's been rinsed and I'm not actually getting the real stuff because mm-hmm. if you think that the process is perfect and you're not going to start until you think you're perfect, you're never going to start. You're never going to do anything because that's not how right. it works. Yeah.
2: People can tell when it's all Hollywood.
1: Yeah, and it's 100%. Too,
2: it's too too real to be true. <laughs>
1: For real, yeah. Well, and you, I mean, Lucas, you had all the answers when you started, right? I mean, exactly yeah, you how know you everything. were to
0: do. HR, all yeah, of it. it. <laughs> Logistics. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're my my favorite, go. my
2: favorite is that people are like, ah, oh, well, his dad just started the business and he took over. And it's like, okay, well, even if he did, and I have taken over, I still gotta know all this stuff and do a good job. So
0: yeah, you're putting yourself really out there, take away from anything. Well, and that's the that's the thing about putting yourself out there too, is you're like, listen, I'm showing you what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm showing you I'm not the best. I don't know. I'm not these <clears> That's fine. I'm showing you though, my value, I'm showing you what we do, yeah, and that's gonna apply to an audience. And that's who I'm trying to reach. And that's what we're trying to impact. And you've seen what you've done with that, with your company and others. And I often wonder how many people were stifled because they didn't, they were too afraid of looking bad. They didn't want to give their, in quotations, secrets out, right? And your company, starting from nothing, blew past the experts at the time that Mm -hmm. couldn't achieve that. And how lots of times I think those people are frustrated or even mad. They're like, why are you buying from that, that kid? Or why are you buying from that person? Right. He doesn't know Mm -hmm. what he's talking about. And everybody's like, I don't even know who you are. Like, yeah. And it's like, if you would (laughs) have put yourself in a position of vulnerability, if you would have started the process and if you would have gotten out there, even if you're not perfect, it doesn't matter, but the success comes with it and it follows, which clearly you've achieved. Now, when you look at, you know, your company, where you're at, uh, is what have you missed from starting out? Because you're in this new position, okay? So you're coming in now. You're playing much more of a CEO role, CEO role. What in this role and everything? What it, it's very different than when you started. Talk, walk me through right. kind of what's different about it. What you like and don't like about your business being at this point?
2: Yeah. So uh, I'm going to be very transparent. I have not been doing the job of a CEO the past two years. Um, this it's been a, it's been a tricky. Um, there's been a lot, we've had a lot of meetings recently because every couple of years we kind of reassess our job descriptions uh, of the owners, um, of the other officers in the company, and really see what needs to flex, You know, who needs to shift fire. Um, right now I currently fill four different jobs, and the job that I've actually been filling for the past really eight years, but primarily probably six years since the company started getting bigger, uh, can be classified as the chief visionary officer. Uh, So not an executive. Uh, There's a lot of decisions in the company that get made by uh, two of my other business partners, the CFO, so the financial Mm -hmm. side, uh, risk assessment, different things like that. And then our chief operating officer who does a lot of the day-to-day business management. My job is typically safeguarding the brand of the company as the marketing director, uh, but also as the uh, more or less the CBO of the company, and uh, also setting the, the trajectory for where the company needs to go based on market trends, based on how people or customers are maturing, uh, because that's something that happens too. You know, We get customers who are brand new gun owners. And then after a year of following our, our content, uh, the educational stuff we put out, they are a little more advanced in their understanding and their desires to purchase you know, different kinds of equipment and focus on different skill sets. And so my job is to kind of watch that and see, you know, when do we need to spawn a whole new department within the company to address those, which is actually something we're actioning right now based on some of that, you know, customer development like, Oh, we need a team of people to help with the next level of customer really. Uh, So my job really for the past few years has actually been a lot more CVO, not CEO. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's been hard in the you know in the past in some of our conversations to hear people say like oh you're not really doing the job of a CEO in this regard
0: and I'm like ah no I'm right. going to give some pushback though on that I think the job of a CEO has changed over the last um, oh it has ten years it's not yeah a CEO if, mm-hmm. if you are a CEO and you're doing just typical managerial stuff you're not doing I, I just don't think it's right yeah. the CEO and- is the one that directs the right. culture, they direct, where everything mm-hmm. needs to be going and moving. And if you are right. just so down into managerial stuff, which that's how I think the old CEO used to look like, right. all about processing and meeting and doing things. Contracts. Right? Yes, and, contracts yeah. and everything else like that. That is mm-hmm. not, I, I just do not believe that that's really what the CEO position is anymore. And if you look at society mm-hmm. in companies, that's not what they're asking of their CEOs anymore. right? right. So you have Tesla, They don't want Elon Musk to just be doing contracts and talking to attorneys all day. They want him to be out there looking at big ideas, creating a culture, saying, put your trust in me. We're going to accomplish these things. I'm getting together the people that can do all of that. They're the best. And Mm -hmm. that's where they're putting the trust. It's to make the decisions and it's to be that leader of the company more than the manager. Yep. No, I agree with that. And that's and that's.
2: And that's been discussed a lot in our meetings, too. Like what is? Because we all have different ideas of what a CEO is. And I've always seen it as that. Like it's the guy who's kind of at the top who's directing the boat. He's yeah. at the rudder, He's at the helm. He's setting the course for the ship. There's lots of other uh, people uh, of a similar position who are managing other parts of the business. Um, so, but really, what happened, sort of the transition for me having to focus more on that is when the company was smaller and we were still trying to get the name out there. so our our you know, and established credibility, I was primarily just doing uh, the, the marketing director role. So going out and filming content on you know our different products and uh, trying to get our brand out there to as many people as possible. But it's really been in the past four years when our company has been a little bit larger. You know, we have a little more influence with other companies in the industry uh, that some of the focus has had to shift into uh business planning and strategy and, and not so much just oh what are we gonna film you know in two weeks for this thing and so now it's a lot it's a lot more uh, long term and we actually this year and this kind of sound hilarious um, we haven't set any sales goals until this year uh, we've gone this entire time with no sales goals for the year you know and uh, this year we do have some we set lots of metricable goals cuz we're at about the size that we need to could have been doing it sooner and uh, on top of that we also have a much more refined 10-year vision for where we want the company to be which for the past few years it's just been and it is a struggle it's a as we grow the company uh we're trying to catch up with you know all the the positions that need to be filled getting the right people into them uh you know shuffling people around a uh, huge influx of orders comes in There really hasn't been a lot of time to step back, look at the big picture, 30,000 foot view. Um, But the last few months, we've taken the time of, okay, we're going to have strategic meetings three times a week. Yes, that's going to cut into marketing. Yes, that's going to cut into our operational stuff, but we are going to hammer this stuff out. And so um, we've just recently done that, really sat down and and had a, a more thorough plan for moving forward. And that's, so we're in a really good place right now, as far as having a very unified vision for where we want the company to be. And uh, if you're a sm- if you're a smaller company listening to this, uh, do it sooner rather than later. Um, I mean, we're in eight, year eight, and we only just sat down to you know really all agree on a ten year vision. Uh, and part of that is we didn't know how long we were going to last. You know, three percent of businesses make it past ten years. We're not there yet. Technically, we could fail in the next two years. Um, but I would say making that long-term vision sooner once you're a little more established uh, is going to help give a lot of uh, metricable goals for the rest of the people in the organization, um, which is, it's just, it's essential uh, for growth, especially if you're a, a fast growing company in mm-hmm. more or less a new industry. So we're, we were a little late, I feel like on that, uh, but we have that now. And so uh, I'm really looking forward to hitting some of those goals by the end of this year. You Dude, know, that's
1: awesome. So <laughs> essential for sure.
0: I think though, you know, you you mentioned this, and I, I think about a lot of times about goals. And and when you say, you know, we weren't hitting, or we didn't have necessarily sales goals, things like that. I usually right. think that those kind of people. And when we, when you know, when I start company, yes, we have some kind of overarching goals and everything. But right. I focus, and I try to focus my intention, uh, all my attention on the conditions that will meet the goals. Right? right. So meaning, you know, you have a sales goal, which before you're like, okay, we don't have a sales goal, but I need to put out content every single week. Well, because mm. you're putting out your content and you're focusing on the things that drive sales, you're surpassing what any normal person would have a sales goal. Cause you're worrying right. about the conditions that would achieve goals more focused on that than doing lots of different measuring. And that's a pretty key distinction especially when you're yeah. a small company and growing mm-hmm. that it's like, you know, really put effort on focusing on those individual items that create those conditions for opportunities and for growth to, um, be mm-hmm. produced organically, naturally, and sustainably, as opposed to just saying, okay, well, here's our growth and how, how we're going to do it. And I notice companies that do that a lot. They mm-hmm. have that organic growth that just bubbles up, which you're clearly consistent you're clearly consistent and you worry about quality and putting out good mm-hmm. content plus products and, you know, caring about that customer. And so the rest follows. Yeah. yeah. No, you're, you're not wrong. It's uh, and so it has worked
2: out because we've had a, we've had a very consistent formula, kind of like you were saying, we're very consistent in like, we're going to use these social media platforms. We're going to publish stuff, you know, with this kind of time frame, we're going to publish this many YouTube videos. We're going to release, you know, this many products. And so we've that the success has happened without having a, you know, a super defined goal. Uh, the only the only thing that uh, has been confusing at times is um, I remember we we had a moment a couple of years ago where uh the company really started to take off. It was in well, the COVID year actually it was when it's really started to, you know, we we doubled in size uh, with employment then too. Um, but there were some questions on like, you know, is this the company that we really want? Do we want to go as big as possible? Do we want to have, you know, 500 employees? And and that's going to be, you know, for a company that gets past. I don't know what's defined as a small, medium, or large business. I mean, we'll never be Amazon and that's okay. But um, when we were kind of making that transition between small, and medium, some of those discussions were happening, you know, is this what we're comfortable doing? How do we throttle sales? Which I know sounds kind of wild that we, a company might even want to throttle sales to Uh, control, you know, expectation from customers and whatnot. And thankfully we didn't need to do that. Um, Although it was talked about a few times. And uh, so we did have to have that conversation at some point. And uh, I I can see, especially for business owners who aren't sole proprietors who have uh, business partners, they're gonna, they're gonna have to have those conversations pretty soon. If their company starts to get, uh, you know, a little bit larger Uh, expectations for, you know, responsibilities within the business you know, if there's a, a business partner that, you know, doesn't want to keep working 80 hours a week, but the company gets bigger and the responsibilities get uh, increased, you know, do they want to step back, let someone else take over and one of the other business partner w- wants to, you know, keep taking the business bigger. Um, I've heard all kinds of stories of uh, partnerships in general, like falling apart because yes. the expectations weren't given on the front end. Mm-hmm. And uh and we didn't have all of our expectations figured out because at the time when we partnered up, we had four employees and it was very small, and it was just a little different then. Yeah. So, um, so that's been good. But uh, the meetings that we've been having and really trying to establish those expectations has allowed us to continue growing, and uh, you know, transfer you know responsibility when we need to uh, to other people within the business, delegating. I'm still learning how to do that. That's a, that's a pretty interesting mm-hmm. skill <laughs> to be good at. Uh, I did it a lot when I was younger. I had my younger brother do a lot of jobs for me, but not <laughs> for the right reasons. <laughs> it wasn't quite the same.
0: <laughs> did so. you, Is that been hard for you to drop some stuff? Like, has it been hard yes. for you to leave? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah. 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 Um, when I,
2: it's, it's, yeah. Well, and it, it, when it comes down to, you know, I know at what level I will do the job and it's a hard time handing, you know, your baby over. someone else yeah and uh, i've had to do that multiple times i remember one of the first ones was i used to make the holsters i would i would cut out the edges i would i would i would buff the edges to make them soft and i had a real hard time handing that off to now one of my uh, business partners uh because he in my opinion his job wasn't as he wasn't doing as good of a job as i was and so we had to i had to work with him on that and and that was the first delegation that occurred that was really hard for me. And that, and then like a year later, I, or six months later, I wasn't making holsters anymore. Yes. Like I haven't made a holster in like five or six years. Yeah. Um, that was all been delegated away, you know, tons of the operational side, all delegated away. Um, I can't even tell you exactly, uh, what tax status corporation type. Yeah. I I could go find a document that tells me what that's all been delegated away. All I have to focus on and it's great because they do a great job, but, uh, my business partners is I can just focus solely on the vision of the company, predicting the market or potentially pushing the market in a direction that I would like it to go. Uh, I get to put all my focus in on that, uh, having the right people and delegating uh, the right responsibilities. So that's been it's still tricky, though. It's still it's very, tricky. very it hard is. to have you to pass
0: something off. Have you been yeah. it? You know, it's, it's very interesting for me to see companies that really grow. So. First mm-hmm. of all, you know, we talk a lot about statistics of survival uh, companies that survive and outside numbers. But what a lot of people yeah. don't understand is that companies that get over a million dollars in revenue, it's like nothing. It's like 0. 0.001. It's crazy. It's just like yeah. nothing. Um, and I found that it's a different type of situation, character of people. And did you, when you grew, <clears throat> did your company outgrow some of the people? at the beginning and was that difficult? How did you make those choices? Because they, not that they couldn't keep up, but it just outgrew them. You're talking more from,
2: uh, so what I hear you saying, yeah. So this is, (laughs) it's awesome you bring this up. So this is definitely something that I, uh, I did PowerPoints on last year and that I brought up. because kind of like you said, there are, there are people who are, are very competent at a certain level. And if you go work for a company that's already established, they have all their systems in place, their sales don't really change, um, you know, not, nothing really changes in the organization, you can just get slotted in and you're good to go. But it is tricky when you're in a, a fast-growing business, um, which I, I don't know what defines We but we've 2x most years. And so more or less fairly fast-growing company. And uh it is, there have been times where the business has outgrown at a different pace uh, than what people had to offer. And so I, I had a slide in my PowerPoint presentation uh, for management last year, and I took our, our sales graph um, and I basically overlaid a bunch of, I, I drew a line through from you know the bottom to the top and kind of averaged it out. And I basically said, hey, our sales is doing this which we can correlate to our influence in the market, our followers on our, our channels, uh, the credibility that we've established with customers, how much they trust us to give us their hard earned money. Our management skills, our competence on the, in the workplace has to follow the same line or exceed said line. And uh, that was something that I really uh, hadn't thought a lot about until we, we transitioned into being in this industrial building in this commercial park and had a conference room and started being a little more corporate And I realized, wow, I need to grow in my business savvy and my leadership skills uh, versus just going to the range with a camera guy. You know, that's basically what my job was up until that point was I just run off, test gear, come back, tell people some stuff. And now I've actually got to sit down with, you know, a dozen people in Wednesday meetings, run a meeting and actually dictate, you know, uh, some of the different things, you know, that I think the business needs to be doing. And so that really applied to me as well because I mean our company was it was doubling every year. But am I doubling in my competence as a leader, yes. as a business owner, as a shooter, as a you know fill in the blank? Uh, in most cases, uh, I haven't been, and I and I, I wasn't then. Um, so that's been that's been an interesting one. We're still working through it. Uh, I think we all I think we will for a long time. I don't know when the the stagnation you know when we're like we've made it or whatever people classify for their business. I don't know when we're going to hit that. I don't think it's anytime soon. And uh, so I think we're going to keep encountering th- uh, different, you know, job descriptions, uh, postings, uh, leadership management, uh, you know, situations where the responsibilities start to exceed uh, the the people themselves and quite possibly the, the officers themselves uh, in the C-level positions. So it's a great, great question. We're still going through it. We're still figuring it out, but it's one that I identified, uh, over a year ago or, t- or two years ago. I think it was in, it was in 2020 that I really started talking about it and, uh, trying to, you know, get people to think about and, and a lot of people were naturally already doing it because just cause they saw the responsibility coming their way. Um, but I know there were some people that were like, Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. I guess the company is getting bigger.
0: There are more people relying on me. And so, yeah. No, I, I, it's such an interesting topic in that, you know, we've been thinking about internally as well. And we've conversations because we have been just growing so fast and it's Mm -hmm. something that we're, we talk openly about. It's like, Hey, we have to make sure that we are, we are all rising to the job needed. Exactly. Not, not wanted, but we need to rise to that job needed and we have to keep up with the business itself meaning mm-hmm. we can't be the reasons that this business can't succeed and uh, every all everyone right me everybody mm-hmm. right it's it's uh, the executives of the company here we need to rise up to meet mm-hmm. that need of who we need to be, whether that's through education, whether that's through mm-hmm. identifying areas of weaknesses and accepting saying, hey, we need somebody else to do this and I can apply more, whatever that is. It's how do mm-hmm. we make sure that we're moving up and growing? And I think that a lot of people, they, they think that you need to be that person and then somehow the business magically appears there. And right. that's not how it happens. You're, right you know you move up and you have to grow with the business mm-hmm. and the business grows with you and you have to be constantly changing so many people look at the end result they look at you now eight years later with mm-hmm. all your employees your 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 business you're doing these awesome stuff right mm-hmm. and they don't really correlate that to the first two three years of the company and uh, they think oh well there's something about you that just magically made you better where in reality mm-hmm. you had to grow And you had to grow a lot. And that was, Mm -hmm. that's probably a constant thing you're thinking about and that you're trying to achieve because you have employees, you have a marketplace, you have, uh, you have customers, right. That they expect Mm -hmm. that. And the question is, and I love that question. Are we up for it? Are we up to text? Because at the end of the day, it is your choice, right? Do we really, how big do we want to go? And what does that look like? Right. And if we do want to go there, if we do it, then we need to rise, rise to that. And that starts from the, the ground, right? That starts from the ground mm-hmm. when you start doing it. Okay. I need to do more. I need to become more. Am I willing to do that? And what's that look like?
2: Yeah. A big one that we've been working through is we've had we've got a couple of people who have successfully trained other people to be able to take over their positions, which may sound horrible cuz it's like oh no you're replaceable but that's actually a major win when you course, have someone you win. can take over cuz like you know we talk about like if i got you know killed in a car accident tomorrow cuz you know i drive a car you know every day and i'm more likely to die from that than most other causes uh you know what's going to happen to the business if I'm gone or if I decide that I'm going to go run for political office and then I have to give up my seat on the company because legally you can't, you know, do two things at once. If you're in the government, although they do anyway, in other ways, uh, that's what they do. Um, uh, but, uh, but being replaceable. And so like, um, you're working on job descriptions right now, rounding those out. And I've, I've really nailed it down to four where it's like, okay, I need these four, uh, positions replaced by other people in order to effectively step away from the company or successfully die, which sounds weird. But I mean, that is, if if you're taking extreme ownership of your business and of your people, that, that is the grim reality that you have to face. You know, what happens if I'm gone tomorrow? Um, you know, or if my wife gets really sick and I need to, you know, step away from the business to spend time with her or, you know, mm. whatever. So, uh, being is, I think, another way people need to look at it. Yes. And when you're looking at it from that, uh, with that kind of scope, um, you're just a lot more purposeful in really analyzing what you're doing, what you're not doing, what you need to do, and then figuring out how to get someone in that position. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's been big. We're still working on that. I'm not fully replaceable. Oh, dude, yet. I, don't, I don't believe, yeah. but um it's a moving target. trying to get there. Yeah, Yeah,
1: it's it's, true. It's a moving target. It's always dynamic, and that's always changing. And and a lot of this is reminding me of, you know, we do these impact corner assessments where we go through and we do the SWOT assessment, you know, and analyze our strengths, (laughs) weaknesses, opportunities, threats, you know, both of ourselves and within our departments and you know overall industries that we're in. And um, and being replaceable is is absolutely not a bad thing, and it's 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 essential, like so many of these other things we're talking about. And uh, because your impact corner and where you need to be functionally as an employee or an executive or whatever, that's going to shift and you need to be able to replicate yourself as you move up or again, as you exit, whether that's, you know, you get smoked in a car accident, or if you, Mm -hmm. uh, if you end up wanting to sell and, you know, sell your portion of the company and exit or or whatever that looks like, if you're not building your company in, in, in a way that you can exit through a sale or Mm -hmm. any other aspect, I mean, you're doing it wrong.
0: Yeah. If you, if, if you're not replaceable, you can't progress.
1: Well, and there's a major value perform. aspect to this as well. Well, say you want to sell your company yeah, and you're right. the sole mm-hmm. value driver you're- of the company. Oh yeah. I'm they like, usually the want world? you to
0: stay around for a while. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then you work for them. 100%. No, well, you're not wrong. Not only that, one of the biggest things that I look at and I think about when we're talking about, you talk about that impact corner and that progress, right? As you're moving up and as we're going places, it's when you look at, you got to build an underlying system and process things underneath you to keep moving up. So what I mean by that, are you the business or are you building the business? Those are very different things. Yep. And it's like as you move forward, there has to be sustainable layers on the ground. Now, once again, even growing and even – Uh, quickly growing businesses, right? Like yourself. Yeah. You're, you're probably right. You're not replaceable, right? Like Mm -hmm. in my company, I'm not replaceable at this point because I'm the face of the company still just Mm -hmm. like you are. And that's why I get, uh, investors. That's why people bring us deals. That's why you get customers products. right? Right. Um, and I've seen this be, um, successfully executed, Right. Mm-hmm. In, a, in, in a lot of companies. And it's a very interesting process. Right. But it's like, how do mm-hmm. you do that? Right. How does it, how is it sustainable? And, it, and I think there is a middle ground where you can be the face of the company, you can still be driving everything. Right. But at the same time, the company is achieving through ad spend or mm-hmm. whatever it is. It's like a, a dilution of the acquisition of customers and lines of revenues away from you. So it's not as, consequential. It doesn't mean it's not there. It's just not as consequential to the survival of the business. Yep. No, that's a big one. Something that,
2: uh, you kind of brought it up earlier. Uh, you know, people, you know, forget when they look at where you're at, where you're at today and they forget all the years of time it took to get there and the work on the front end. Uh, I actually have a fifth job and, uh, and this plays into if you're, uh, if you are the face of a company or in a public figure – I don't really like that term, public figure. I especially hate the term influencers. So we're not going to use that yeah. one. Um, but public figure, let's say. But uh, one thing that I've really had to do really for the past five years, and it, it really ends up being a full-time job, is uh, safeguarding uh, pride in knowing you're the face of the company and you're the guy that people look to. Uh, that really is a full-time job. Like if you are starting a business with the intent to be the 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 you know Queen Elizabeth of the company, the the figurehead of the company, that is something you're gonna have to uh, put a lot of time into and in, in safeguarding because uh, I've seen a lot of people in, in my particular industry, as soon as they get a little bit of fame, a little bit of notoriety, uh, you know, ten thousand followers, fifty thousand followers their persona changes dramatically and everyone sees it. Everyone sees when that persona changes and uh, it's really been a full-time job, you know, transitioning from, you know, small business, no one knew who I was to, you know, a little bit bigger. Now people are wondering, well, who the heck is this kid? And he's not military. What's he doing in our industry? He won't last. And then we get to medium-sized business. Oh, there's, he's still here and know, he's putting out these YouTube videos and uh, the, the public figure marketing strategy, does because I, I talk about this a lot it has a lot of advantages because there's an emotional connection that you can make mm-hmm. with the customer base you can put a face to the business and uh but that comes at great cost great especially cost. with the replaceability just like you talked about where if i bail from the company to go be a congressman or i don't know go start another business that is going to be problematic or also in the case of your company selling usually they want to keep the public figure on for five years and uh that now you're working you know for someone else and um so it is something that i don't see a lot of people talking about um because everybody wants to be famous everybody really they want to they want to be no you know recognized in public although i'm just yeah. going to say it's not it's not very cool and uh it's like <laughs> if people think it's cool like they haven't gotten haven't gotten it to realize it's not <laughs> but um they miss all the it, people it comes at great cost you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's uh, that that in and of itself. There's so much to
0: that, too. Yeah. So uh, it's it, big. It is big. And, you know, when you look at it, it, it's it's a big thing that you have to say because you're directly tying also the characteristics of mm-hmm. you to the business in the form of trust in mm-hmm. the fr- form of uh, loyalty in the form of are you who we think you are? And um, that can be a hard thing to walk, right? Yeah. Is it, this idea that, all right, you're putting your trust in me. on the face of the business, right? I'm not the business. And things could go wrong in the business. And right. that is directly correlated with me. Or I could mess up or I could do something to lose the trust of the company or the customers. And oh, yeah. that could damage the company. And you know how do we work through that, and how do you build it? it it's a huge topic.
1: Well, oh, dude, you don't oh, you dude. don't have any uh, experience with uh, AC ones that were made in America being made somewhere else or anything, right? Like <laughs> uh, pretty much. Wanna, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, do you want to touch on that that situation that actually yeah. happened with you guys and and that yeah. approach that you took to actually deal with that? Because that's exactly what we're talking about right here.
2: Yeah. So transparency is big to us. Uh, sometimes too. I. Could be a little too transparent. I think Me some too. companies I'm in the over industry sure. may, may, <laughs> may think uh, that. I, I like giving my opinion. And, and part of the reason why, and I talk about this a lot, this is particularly true in my industry, everybody wants to get along and everybody wants to be friends, which I I get to a point. But if the objective is to help the consumer and help the community and help the people, that is going to require at times saying the awful truth about you know, an organization, a product, giving a metric of what is good, what is bad, what is ugly, what is great. If everything's good, well, you never know what's great. You've got to have some disparity somewhere of you know, what's bad. So we're pretty transparent. So uh, two years ago, we uh, we contracted a company in California to make us a product um, of government contract size. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars, like half a million plus dollars. And uh, the guy told us, yeah, we can make it. You know, We'll send you samples, blah, blah, blah. So we got our samples. They looked good. And we commenced the contract. It's for a lot of money, uh, into the, into the process, uh, like f- a few months down the road, um, we started to uncover the product was coming in with different qualities, different batches, which didn't make a lot of sense to us. Cause normally if you're working with one company, like they'll all consistently have the same problem, mm-hmm. uh, or they'll all consistently be good, but we were having plate carriers. It was a, an armor carrier it holds body armor and put it on your chest some would come in with this stitching problem and some would come in with this shoulder pad problem. And it was like, this is kind of funky. And then all of a sudden we got a batch in where we uncovered, I think it was 12 plate carriers that said made in Mexico, these little made in Mexico tags on the inside of the plate carrier. Now the problem with that is one, we were promised it would be made in America with American materials, very compliant materials, which is a military government thing that they do. Um, we had all the certificates, very compliant certificate, you know, signed by this company by this guy, and our practice coming in being foreign made. Which I'm not necessarily against getting things foreign made, provided you tell people on the yes. front end where it's made, um, you know, and what's going on. So then we had our investigation. We, you know, were talking to the guy and trying to figure out what was going on. And eventually, he uh, did confess to outsourcing another shop across the border. And what they did was they took raw material packed it into trucks drove it across the border they were in uh, they were they were the company is down by the border so not you know not super hard right but then they would have the stuff assembled in Mexico driven back over in a truck with main Mexico tags because for imp- import reasons it has to specify the, the country of origin and then another shop would take the labels out and oh. add main America tags. So now, frankly, the logistics going on are kind of impressive. Yeah, right yeah. Beyond. It's like why go to all <laughs> yeah, it's but, actually kind of cool. Yeah. But uh, so then we started getting you know pallets of these suckers, and some of them were getting past their QC, and we had made Mexico tags. So we ended up we had something like four hundred thousand dollars worth of product that we're sitting on, and the product's good. Like we've already quality controlled it, we've already looked at it, you know. And we were like, what do we what do we do? And there were some opinions where let's burn it all. Let's just you know, we're not gonna sell this, we're not gonna try to sneak this as product made in America. Let's just burn it all. And then we were like, oh, the environmental problems of burning this, you know, material we can't be <laughs> yeah. bad. And so and then and then it came back to the philosophical of like, well, this, you know, people need this product to hold body armor. It is a good product. It unfortunately has been made under malicious circumstances by this contractor that we were working with. And so what we decided to do, I, I, I can't remember who proposed it. Um, there's a lot of meetings going on, but we all All of us in the room were unified in the approach of we're not going to sneakily sell visas made in America because that's ethically wrong. We're just not going to do that. So we ended up launching a PR uh, campaign uh, where I did a video saying, hey, we were bamboozled. We were tricked. Here's all the paperwork. Here's the certificates. Here's the stuff. And at this point, I believe we had just started our lawsuit uh, with this guy over in in California. So we put all the stuff out there. We sold them at a dramatically reduced price. Uh, we really, I think we ended up making zero on everything, but we still got the product to the people yeah. and we were honest about it. And that was our biggest uh, sales day in our company's history and our largest site traffic day in history. Just coming out and saying, hey guys, we got bamboozled. We have product. We're going to sell it at a massive discount because we don't feel good selling it at the, the full price since it's not what we promised. And uh, this is what we're going to do for you guys. And we had a lot of people message us. We even, the other thing we did is we offered to refund all of the existing customers because we had already sold. That was actually what made this extra difficult was we had sold one batch before we knew they were in Mexico, two customers. And we just assumed that about 20% of it was was made in Mexico. So we offered to refund all of our previous customers down to the amount of money that the the Mexican carriers were going to be sold for. And we had, I want to say about 50 people right back and say, because you're transparent, I'm not going to take the refund. Uh, I'll happily pay the full price on the carrier that most likely wasn't made in Mexico, but we're not, uh, you know, I'm not going to take that refund and other people did and it's perfectly fine. Yeah, And, uh, but that's the kind of, you know, those are the kinds of business practices that we've really adhered to. And that was, uh, I'm, I'm really thankful, to be honest. Like whenever these these challenges come up, I'm super thankful because we all learn as a team, as a company, and yeah, they suck because they cost hundreds of thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours of time. And um, But it's it's things like this that really build the team and really also shape customer trust in the brand. Uh, to be honest, I think in the in a few years, we could look back at the AC Uno uh, debacle and actually point to ways that that grew the company larger than any other, you know, marketing strategy that we've ever done. And uh, I remember I even had one guy message me and say, man, knowing you guys and like how, you know, marketing smart you guys are, you probably engineered this whole thing to like create all this buzz. <laughs> and I was like, dude, I'm not that smart. Like, that'd be cool if I was. I'm not that smart. <laughs> um but
1: I love that I bet story. We'll, I, that's awesome. I bet, dude, isn't that I just incredible? We'll,
2: we'll, it's it, it was, and I'll say uh, major props goes to our CFO. Uh, one of my older brothers, uh, David, for, he was the one that spearheaded the, the legal stuff because we ended up suing the guy and, you know, cause that's just what needed to happen. And yeah. um, so he ran all that. I mainly just had to worry about the PR and weigh in on, you know, what we will and won't do, uh, at first, I wanted to just burn them all and, you know, just be Dude, done with it. But, right.
1: you know, cooler like, heads prevail. Right. Well, And that's just a prime example of and it's like taking a, a page out of Ryan Holiday's book, The Obstacle of the Way, mm-hmm. and, you know, just addressing that obstacle head on and, and actually mm-hmm. addressing that and utilizing that. I mean, not even utilizing that in an authentic way, but just addressing that in an appropriate manner that was... That was completely and totally reasonable as opposed to like, you know, are we obviously we're human beings. We love to get emotional. It's like burn these suckers. Right. But then it's like, wait a second. Here's our mission. We want to get product to people. This product's fine. We can get it out. We can be transparent. We can do X, Y, and Z and using that obstacle as that catalyst. To continue yeah. pushing yourselves forward. I mean, I love that uh, we we dove into that story, man, because it's such a, a testament to you guys, your character, and uh, and why you guys have just seen such great success and all the, the the phenomenal work you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: it, there's yeah. a. Oh, go ahead. You know, I was just gonna say, I think you're right when you talked about the customer loyalty piece. I, I think it builds it even more, and people understand that you're gonna make mistakes. Mm-hmm. they understand if then if you accept the consequences, right? Generally speaking, people are forgiving, right? And right. Uh, they understand, hey, life happens, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there's always the people that probably trash you online or whatnot because there's jerks out there. Oh, always. Yep. Yep, always. But uh, for the most part, your customer base, that tends to solidify. It tends to grow because then they say, listen, I know the products that I'm getting. If there mm-hmm. ever was something they would tell me instead of oh i don't know until they get caught very different right and um, that is something that's really important that i think a lot of organizations mm-hmm. need to adopt they need to uh, it go- kind of even goes back to this idea of content before like there's this, there there's so many people especially in today's age they're so adverse Um, Mm -hmm. negative consequences, particularly online. They're so adverse. They're like, we're going to get attacked. We're going to get canceled, right? We have to do this Mm -hmm. either perfect or we have to try to get away with it, things like that. And it's just, it's an impossible standard to live up to. So don't try to. Yeah. Be honest, do what's right. And if you screw up, admit it and own up to it, right? And then do everything in your power to make it better, um, but mm-hmm. if you're not ready to do that, you're putting yourself up to an absolutely impossible standard.
2: Yeah, and that's actually something that I've written into, uh, kind of going back to the replacement, you know, writing out the job descriptions that I have is actually something that I've written under for CEO, CVO, like whatever it is that that level of executive uh, C level position. Uh, they have to be able to uh, make apologies or be transparent on behalf of the brand, which not everyone, is able to do or is yeah. willing to do. And it's not always fun to, you know, come out and be like, Hey yeah. guys, uh, I, I promised this. It never happened because of these things, you know, but I do think that's something that your, your high level, you know, spokesperson for the brand or your, your uh, high level leader needs to be able to do and be able to do it well. Cause obviously public speaking, that's a skill in and of itself, whether you're good or you know not good at it. So you've got to be, you know, Able to do that and you know instill confidence and, and trust in uh, your customer base, uh, but I think it's one that that businesses really need to think about uh, for their high level you know CEO or CBO position is hey are you man enough and willing to come out and apologize for a thing, be transparent about a, a, a business mistake or problem in the industry, and explain to people what's going on in a way that they will you know respect it and and also trust you as well. And, uh, you're, you're absolutely correct that people nowadays with the internet and Twitter and Reddit, which is probably the worst, uh, are so like concerned what people will think about them. And it's like, well, that's how it's always been, you know, with the people, you know, in your small town, like the internet magnifies it to some extent because more people will know who you are, but it's all the same stuff. You'll always have the 10% of people who are skeptical, the 2% that'll hit you no matter what. Uh, there's a, there was a study. I can't remember the book, but basically broke down. There's 10% of people that'll be skeptical and 2% of them will just hate you. And then it's like 3% are on the fence then might change. And the sort of the, the problem is once you hit 3 million, 4 million, 5 million followers, that group is large too. And it looks like a just this massive angry mob, yeah. but the reality is, well, you also have 4 million people that yeah. love you and buy your products and yes. follow what you do. And so there, and there's been mo, uh, there's been times uh in the past where I've, I've talked to vendors and they've said man you really uh you really kicked the hornets' nest and it's like well yeah i've got tens of thousands of people that hate my guts but we've also got millions that don't so yeah you know was that ever hard know, which was is that it, ever
0: hard for you like the the kind of the turn on the mob and the the self righteous people that yeah. you know come and they yeah. are just nasty it's
2: it's, it is. So what helped me, uh, and I've, I've researched a lot of other, um, sort of public figure CEO type, you know, people, uh, Elon Musk and others, how they deal with it. Cause anyone who's successful is going to get it. Yeah. You know, you're rarely criticized by someone more successful than you, if ever. Yeah, uh, I can't remember who uh, there's a quote that M- G- more line uh, goes, al- goes along with that. Um, and what I started doing three years ago is I stopped reading it. Just yeah. all of it. I, I used to feel I knew there'd be a conversation going on. I'd get tagged in some, you know, comment thread on Instagram yeah. and I would look at it, put my phone down, go back to work. And then I, my brain, you know, would be like, ah, oh, but what are they actually saying about yeah. me? Like, yeah. I want to go check in on the new comments yeah. and it distracted me from my work. And And what it was is I realized these people saying stuff online, I have no obligation to most of them aren't customers. Most of them don't value what we do. I have literally zero obligation to give my time to them, but I do have obligation to give my time to my employees who are my first Mm -hmm. customer, our customers who are, you know, the employees, you know, first customer and my second customer. Those are the people I actually need to focus on. All these people just talking crap with anonymous accounts on Reddit, they can make up whatever they want. And it does start to suck when it it bleeds over into vendors who believe it because they're like, oh, we don't know what to think. And, Mm. And that does suck. But for the most part, the track record has been there that companies just, they look at our sales numbers. Uh, they look at where we're at as a business. We've lasted this long. Uh, I remember I got business advice from another holster company when I started and they closed up shop five years ago. And, uh, their advice that they gave me, it didn't make a lot of sense at the time and they're not in business anymore. So like these people see that we're still around and they just know that, yeah, we're going to have people that hate our guts because we're still here. We're still successful. I break 90% of the norms within my own industry. I'm not military. I'm not law enforcement. I'm not jacked. I don't have a beard. I don't have tons of tattoos. I, mm-hmm. I'm very different than, you know, a lot of people in my industry. And, uh, yeah, it attracts but don't you lots think of that, attention.
0: And see, this is something though, that I find very, very interesting because I think, you know, it's funny, like, I guess in my industry, I'm kind of different too, from a standpoint, I have a beard right? Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, this isn't money management, right? I'm talking on podcasts and I'm talking about Mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff. And um, I guess I don't really fit the norm. And that really helped me out in my industry. Yeah, There were no podcasts or no people. It was money managers and people that were really uptight i don't i don't know so to say it right stuffy and they weren't (laughs) real and i think it just made them completely unrelatable and for you like when i look Mm -hmm. at your content and everything i'm like oh you're just a normal guy like me right and if you can do these amazing things which your skills are incredible like i'm like oh there's hope for me right when i (laughs) Uh see the guy (laughs) that's jacked six four tattoos beard and said you know i served 100 tours in afghanistan i'm like okay i can't like yeah, yeah i'll never I'll be, be that i'm not <laughs> yeah, he-man exactly. i'll never be like you so your content is cool yeah. to watch but that's it it's yeah i cannot relate to it at all right mm-hmm. it's like you're you are you might as well be on a marvel movie because it's just yeah. almost make-believe right yeah. so i think that's helped you a lot because it has yeah. so relatable mm-hmm. it, it, that has
2: and especially with uh our core customer base is we have a lot of military and law enforcement who buy from us, but our core customer base has been the average, you know, the average guy, the average woman, the average father who wants to have equipment to, you know, preserve life and protect mm-hmm. his home and his family. And they're and in our industry, usually companies, they will, they'll hold a bias towards, you know, one group or the other. Like, you know, you'll get the companies that prioritize special operations community companies that, yeah. you know, focus on law enforcement. We're, also kind of weird in that we literally, we really focus on just the average person and it's not, you know, just for the military, just for law enforcement, you know, just for, um, you know, competition shooters or whatever, it's really, we're trying to be more mainstream than that and really, um, you know, have educational materials and product that makes sense for the, you know, the average person. So having someone who's an average person, you know, yeah. I'm not a former male LE guy, uh, has helped with that. Um, it also attracts, you know, the people who have these expectations of. Oh, well, well, if you're going to talk about shooting, you have to have been shot at. Yes. And it's like, well, 10% of the military's combat arms, less than 10% of them have seen combat. So uh, most people in the military aren't even qualified, according to you, to do this either.
0: Yeah. So uh, well, and so it's, this it's brings it's up, up a good point because that's you hear a lot of that. And I think that hurts people. I think people start they mm-hmm. want to start business, most of us are not qualified for something that we've never done or achieved. So then we don't try to do it because we're not exactly. qualified that doesn't make sense. Or we just
1: feel like we're not qualified. Or we feel like, well, yep. and, yeah. and, and
0: the idea is that you can become qualified, yep. right? right. And, but you can't unless you do it mm-hmm. and unless you move right. forward. So it's like, congratulations, you went to the military, they invested in you, they and you became qualified, right? I'm becoming right. qualified in another way. It's not less, mm-hmm. it's just different. It's different. But so many people feel that oh, I can't go onto Wall Street because I'm not a certain pedigree. I can't start a business because I'm not like this, right? Mm-hmm. I can't do whatever because I'm not a certain way. Well, but yeah. the, but you have to do to become that certain way. And I think that this the internet provides a real big customer base and um, mm-hmm. it provides a real big outlet for normal people to go and attract and move forward and follow people that can be role models that are trustworthy, mm-hmm. good, and they're proficient at something that they say, hey, I can follow in these footsteps and do where before the internet there wasn't a mass uh, basis to do that, it was handpicked by a television or whoever it was, media outlets, and it had to be yep. curtailed, mm-hmm. and they set standards like that. No, mm-hmm. you can't do that, you're not this, right? Yeah. And so then, oh, nobody can do it, right? And that and those walls have been being torn down, right? Oh, and yeah. it shows how you can be so successful um by tearing down those walls, even though mm-hmm. you're going to get a lot of crap when you start oh, yeah. trying and tearing down those walls. And that can be hard for people. Yeah,
2: it's it's definitely it's definitely tricky, um, you know, have having that. But uh, the the big thing, I, I I really think about it a lot whenever I get this criticism. And it's really the other way that I, I, I deal with it is I look for criticism from people that are in the same arena
0: yes. and have the
2: same problems to solve. And if they don't have the same problems to solve, well, I, you're not going to help me advance my business or or advance me as a person trying to get better at this thing. And, uh, and I I think there's probably, I've thought about it like, man, I want to write a book about this someday, just how to deal with criticism and how to sort through it and find, and I'm still learning that whole process, how to find the good from the bad. Cause sometimes someone is trying to give you constructive criticism. They're not doing it in the best way. They don't approach you you know very well. They put a comment in your, which isn't a great way to give criticism anyway, a comment on Instagram or something. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I think that can with the internet has opened a lot of uh, room for study in that area and trying to figure out basically how to how to sort through all that and you know make a successful time out of seeing those criticisms and actually applying them to your business to your everyday life. But the fact of the matter is, like ninety nine percent of critics out there for anyone are not trying the thing or doing the thing themselves well enough to even be in a position to give criticism. Like I know I can give certain criticisms on certain business mm-hmm. practices and certain you know shooting performance type stuff and certain product things but that's about it and i generally you know reserve those Criticisms for people who come to me asking for help. I don't go and yes. volunteer, yes. unsolicit, give them to other businesses. If yeah, someone comes yeah, to me yeah, on, goes-
0: online saying, that's not yeah. how you do that, that's not right. Exactly. You do I, don't it. T- I don't
2: have time for that. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, <there's no> way. <laughs> and, and And what you said is really important is so many because Twitter is obviously the worst. People love, and people oh, yeah. love to criticize on things they know nothing about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing. And it that makes s- them sound so smart. It makes them sound so <laughs> smart. And it makes them feel so good, right? And especially criticizing the people, like you said, that are in the arena. It, it reminds me of the um, – I'm going to totally slaughter this quote from Theodore Rez- Roosevelt. Yeah. But essentially, <laughs> the glory goes to the man in the arena. It doesn't go mm-hmm. to the – person in the crowd that's looking down but the person that's actually fighting that's got the blood sweat you know that's who the glory goes to Mm -hmm. the people on the sidelines that are just throwing trash things like that they're just gone and they can't they're not in the arena they're not fighting they're not doing it so Mm -hmm. even though they're loud you gotta ignore them yeah
2: you brought up something earlier uh that i wanted to touch on you brought up the whole um You know, for the longest time, TV was the only, you know, TV and academia was the only way for, you know, someone to be, you know, uh, a credible source of information. And it's pretty funny because I get a lot of questions on Instagram and other places about like, oh, do you have your MBA? Like, did you go to college? Did you, you know, what books do you read? The truth of the matter is I have read like two business books in the past eight years. Uh, I've read a couple of leadership books like a while ago, uh, from like, uh, military sources, but I really haven't gone out and studied a lot of, you know, material from other people or gone and gotten a degree. A lot of it has just been trial and error and sitting down and analyzing, uh, other companies. I actually, most of my learning is studying other companies failures and then trying to reverse engineer the opposite of how to not, you know, be in that place, making that failure point. And, uh, People are still shocked when they hear that, like, oh, you don't even have a GED. And it's like, no, I started my own business. I, I, don't, I don't need a GED. I haven't needed that, you know. Yeah. Uh, math, what's that, you know. So yeah. um, I, can do, I can do simple math. <laughs> but, um, but it really does come down to at some point you have to just start do doing it. the thing. And you are going to make mistakes. I've made plenty, and I know I'm still going to make lots of mistakes. But uh, no amount of book reading, and this is actually something I talk to a lot of people about. You have people who – studying's easy. In that there's no, you can't fail at studying unless there's an exam. So you can read like, like, you know, 20 Pat Lancioni books. You can go read, you know, all these money management books out there and just cover to cover. And it's not difficult to do that besides, you know, your own discipline, sitting down and actually reading through it. The hard part is going out and doing what the books say. And so what I usually tell people is you've got your, uh, your, your, a lot of people, it's 90% study, 10% do because mm-hmm. the studying's easier and they just yep. read books all the time. Like I've got some folks in my organization that they do a lot of studying on certain topics, but they don't do a lot of, you know, getting out and like doing the yeah. thing. Uh, my problem I think right now is I actually spend more time doing than I spend studying. And I actually need to balance that out to be like 50, 50, like studying perspectives from other people with yeah. their books and then going and applying it in the business. And I think that's something a lot of people need to step back and take a a pretty hard look at and be like, man, am I just sitting here at the computer reading other people's accomplishments? Like, and then thinking that's going to help me. Cause at some point it's not going to help you if you never yeah. action anything, you got to get out there into the arena and actually do something. And so uh, for, for a lot of people, I think that percentage needs to be assessed and then also attacked head on. And yes. uh, like a, a perfect example for that. I, I, I'm an avid video game player. Mm-hmm. They're, there, uh, I love just. Uh, I don't like sitting down watching movies because you just sit there and you have no decision making. You, you just you take in whatever they want you to you know take in. So video games, I have some you know free will, to yes. some extent within the the bound the boundaries of the game. But I was studying uh, this video game, this this high level real time strategy game, uh, Starcraft two, and I was watching videos every day I got home from work, watching high level top level championship games, and I realized. A few weeks in, because I wasn't playing the game, I was just watching the videos and thinking, I know all this cool stuff about the game. And then I realized I haven't practiced. I actually like watching all these videos and learning all the intricacies of the game is going to do nothing for me until I actually start playing the game, losing games to other players, winning games against other players and actually actioning the stuff that I'm learning from watching these high level games. So I tried and uh, I lost a lot and and then I moved on to other things. Um, but th- that's, that was one point that when it re- that concept really stood out to me, cause I put a lot of time into watching videos that I didn't get any benefit out of because I didn't go and actually train and, mm-hmm. and, and practice and actually like get in there and do stuff. And, uh, but studying is pretty easy. Uh normal uh, with there's no exams or metrics, you know, and goals uh outside of that. And I, I think there's a lot of folks out there who think they're putting in really good work just studying, yeah. but at some point you gotta yeah. get out there and Dude, do yeah. some
1: work. That's gold. That's gold because yeah. there's so many of us and I've I've been guilty of that as well. I mean, just going book after book. And the other thing too is like mm-hmm. if you're if you're doing this like a million books a week or whatever it is that you're going through, like how much are you actually retaining? And what's the real value you're pulling from that and to even be Mm -hmm. able to go and execute on that when your goal is really just, oh, I'm going to read 10 books. Like, well, you need to be more more actionable as far as what you're trying to educate yourself on. There's a difference between
0: studying to figure out something. Like, it's like, oh, I got to read this because I need to solve this problem Mm -hmm. because I'm doing. So this will help me do, right? Mm -hmm. I I could not agree with that more. Like, if you is, is this going to help me in the building process, right? Or... Am, am I just consuming to consume? And right. uh, it, you know, that is very, very feels Phil smart. Feel smart. Right. Exactly. Phil <laughs> yeah. smart. I, I have it's no applicable knowledge, but, yeah. um, I've done it. And that's an absolute killer. Um, yeah, dude, we've taken up an hour and a half of your night. Um, this has <laughs> no, been good, an awesome podcast. I, I got, I got, I got to ask you, you can ask Google question, but I got to know what's your favorite gun? My favorite gun, uh, the one that gets the job done. I was going to say, what you, his answer is going to be, what are you using saying, it for?
2: Yeah, for <laughs> um, my, so my favorite gun, or I'd say family of guns. Uh, I carry a Glock 19. That's my carry gun. But my, if you had to buy one gun, you're not a gun owner. And you're like, I need to get a gun because the election's coming up and times is getting weird. Uh, an AR-15 is America's gun. It, it, it is, the Kalashnikov and AK-47 is not America's gun. That is the gun of Western Europe, or Eastern Europe, uh Russia, Asia, um, you know, the Middle East, Africa, some places in Africa, but the AR fifteen is America's rifle, uh, originated here. And uh you could buy them for you can get a cheap one for I think right now they're like five hundred bucks, which is insane. I wouldn't recommend one of those though. I think it's something a little <laughs> cool. better, like a thousand bucks. <laughs> yeah. Something a little nicer. But uh yeah, as a first gun, it you really can't beat it. And most of the guns that I go to for because I, I shoot three to four days a week right now, off and on uh i'm shooting those shooting air 15s of some sort it really is my favorite uh they get the job done mm-hmm. and uh so yeah but i don't have a favorite
1: yeah done. it's
2: whatever <laughs> what do you use whatever for? gets the job done yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly
1: yeah yeah dude i love yeah. it well just before we wrap up dude i mean future plans what do you got yeah. on the horizon this year next year i mean what's you some going? of that vision dude
2: yeah so uh well, the business, we have our 10-year vision. So we're, we're actioning, building the business bigger, uh, bigger and better. Um, we're, we're putting in another 10,000 square foot expansion onto one of our – actually, it's 12,000 square feet uh, – expansion onto one of our buildings. Unfortunately, I think that will only hold us for six months. And so we're looking for another building already because um, 42,000 square feet is just not, it's not enough right now. But uh, I'm actually um, trying to – figure out uh some personal branding stuff uh, because we have you know all the t-rex stuff that we have going on and uh i've been looking for business coaches who can help me with some of the 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 business acumen that you know that i can talk to regularly every week um i i want to get into i need to study more kind of like we talked about i need to adjust my Mm -hmm. doing to studying um but i have some decisions to make right now uh regarding you know uh, you know, how much do I want to get out there and do like uh, public speaking and, and podcasts and help other people yeah. start, you know, businesses. Yeah. And cause right now, most of my time goes into building T-Rex and I'm trying to figure out how can I adjust my 80 hour schedule a week <laughs> and like <laughs> yeah. put some time into other things outside the business. And so, uh, uh I don't know what that's going to look like. I'd love to write a book in the future, uh, on some, on some of the things that I've learned Either that or a podcast. I'm not, I'm not sure which is the better strategy. And I'm talking to some people about you know what they recommend uh, for brand management. You would do that, awesome you know, good on stuff
0: having a podcast. Um,
2: I like the I like the idea of having a podcast. I've talked about it for like a year and a half now, and uh, it's just a matter of you know prioritizing, eliminating some things yep. to make room for others. You never truly free up time. You just no. end up using that time for something else. Yep, hundred percent. So, so we'll see i don't don't know i'm still trying to figure some of that out but building uh t-rex arms uh bigger uh is in the works is in process uh that's happening for sure uh the other stuff on the side uh, we'll we'll see about that
0: well Well, awesome you're killing it man and um we really do appreciate taking your night up here with us um you've just shared absolute gold and what you've accomplished is amazing so where can we send people To find out, we'll put the links in the show notes and where can they go to learn more about you and what you're doing. Mm-hmm. so uh
2: our biggest channel right now is our youtube which is just if you google t-rex arms thankfully it took two years but when you google t-rex arms it, articles that come up why did t-rexes have small arms well <laughs> after two years we're at the top now um it was like year two I, I was able to push that article away from some scientific math nature like website uh, awesome. but if you google t-rex arms you get our youtube channel um i have a personal instagram uh which is larger than our company, Instagram. And there's some reasons for that. Uh, it's a little more personal, but, uh, Lucas treks arms, uh, is, is my Instagram. That's where a lot of the action happens to the point that Instagram actually, uh, took down my account for a few weeks, which is good fun. Um, oh. cause sometimes I get a little spicy sometimes <laughs> I, I do gun stuff, you know, so they, ah, they were real happy spicy. with that. So I got it back. Good. Some people helped me on that. And, uh, I'm on borrowed time really on that platform probably but uh, so yeah the the Instagram and then our website trex-arms.com we have a ton of videos there products of course Um, but a lot of the I give a lot of um, I answer a lot of questions on my Instagram on business stuff and I talk about cultural issues and ind- stuff that i notice in the in the industry and observations that's where i'm uh, more transparent um, mm-hmm. sometimes at the expense of other companies or people and uh that's just how it is sometimes <laughs> yes. so um so yeah that's how people can uh find what we're doing we'll awesome. put
0: all those in the show notes and um we look forward to see you continue to just kill it man you're doing great stuff uh love to watch it
1: absolutely man thanks awesome. for coming on Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yep, we'll see you.